This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 8th chapter beginning at verse 11 and continuing through verse 17. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people saying, Do not call conspiracies all that this people call conspiracies. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. Israel. A trap and a snare in the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Blind, bind up the testimonies, seal the teachings among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew in the 22nd chapter. Beginning at verse 33 and continuing through verse 44. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Listen to another parable, Jesus says. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce, but the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They, the Pharisees and the scribes who were gathered around Jesus, said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. It is providential that we are working our way through a series of Jesus' harvest parables, as recorded here in the Gospel according to Matthew, just as we are here in the midst of our annual harvest season. 
The crops which have spent months in the fields growing from seeds are finally ready to be gathered in. And it is at this very moment that the far-off landowner sent his workers, his slaves or servants, the word is the same in the text, to his property stewards managing the vineyard. These were the folks who were charged with overseeing the work in the land under a lease to the Lord of the manor, as it were. They were to have the harvest ready for the servants who were being sent to retrieve it, but it seems they had other plans. They didn't wish to abide by the terms of the agreement by which they were permitted to work the land. They wanted to make their own rules. When the first servants arrived, they were met with hostility and violence, as were the second batch who were then sent. And much to the shock and dismay of the owner of the land, this is precisely how the son also was treated by the tenants of his vineyard, who reasoned that if they dispatched the son, then they would profit even more. After telling this parable, Jesus turns to the Pharisees and the scribes who were there with them and asks of them, who do you think is guilty? What is going to happen when Mr. Big himself shows up at this vineyard? And well, they rightly reason it, it won't be pretty. But this is a story. It's a parable. So who and what is being talked about here? Well, Jesus tells the Pharisees and the rest of us with ears to hear the religious leaders are the foremen among the tenant farmers. This is God's vineyard, his promised land that is very beautiful and abundant. When the spies first entered into the land, Caleb and Joshua came back to Moses with a, a report that was quite favorable about what they had seen. They saw a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that was full of grapes. Uh, and yet the other ten who were with them were, were more concerned with the people of the land and so persuaded uh, Moses not to enter the land of promise at that time. Well, the land continued to produce abundantly. The land was very good as the people eventually would see this is God's land, this vineyard that is producing this good crop. And the tenant farmers, his people, they have been allowed to cultivate the land, to dwell in that land with the express written consent of the owner himself through the covenants. The covenants that God has established with his people in prior generations remain in full effect even up to the time that Jesus is telling this story. As the days were accomplished that there should be a crop of fruit presented to God, Jesus says, well, there wasn't a crop of fruit presented to God. His workers, his servants, his slaves, these were the prophets. They had come to Israel with instructions for the tenants of the land, 
But those who came bearing this message were not warmly received. The tenants, it seemed, preferred to make their own decisions, establish their own rules regarding the governance of the property of God. And so finally, God sends his son to his far-off people. And what do you know? They refuse to accept his words and use hostility and violence to stifle his, his message as well. This rejection of God's word and will, as well as those who delivered it, brought through the prophets and through the very Son of God, is going to bring judgment to, upon the heads of the tenants in the land. And those tenants were under the stewardship of the religious leaders. So it is no wonder when the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes hear these words, they become indignant. And what has any of this got to do with us? Well, what difference does any of this make as we rise tomorrow morning and go about our daily tasks, our work, our errands, our interactions with family, friends, co-workers, strangers even? I believe that the answer in large part, at least, can be found in verse 37. As the master is sending his son to the people of the land, he says, they will respect my son, but they don't. And it will go very poorly for them as a result. May we learn from the mistakes of the people Jesus speaks of in this parable. They were scheming to benefit themselves. They had been assigned a specific task, but they grew discontent with the work they were doing on behalf of the master, seemingly wanting to keep more for themselves rather than turning it back over to the master of the vineyard. But whereas Teamsters walk out for money and benefits in Hollywood and in Detroit, a divinely authored covenant is not the same as a labor contract. It didn't come about through prolonged mediation between co-equal parties. Both the covenants of the Old Testament and the one that's coming in the New are gifts from God, presented out of His grace and love for the people which He had created and designed to be His stewards over the rest of His Creation. This is non-negotiable. We're not, these people were not putting in a shift at an assembly line and then clocking out, going home, and trying to forget all about what they'd spent the last eight hours doing. These were not folks who received commissions and who were not eligible for bonuses for excellent performance. Jesus explains all this in another related parable. But what this means for tomorrow and the days that follow it is that we are always on the clock when it comes to respecting the sun. In other words, there is no bad time to do good deeds, and conversely, there is no good time to do bad. 
Let me be clear. There is no impressing God. We cannot endear ourselves anymore to him through pious acts. We are loved unconditionally, and the sending of the Son is proof of the Father's great love for us all. What the covenants have always been about is right living in a manner that is in accordance with God's expressed will for his people. He desires that we should honor his word and his word made flesh so that it will go well with us as we honor him and show our gratitude for that which, we, which he has done, which he is doing, and which he will do. When we, like those tenants in the vineyard, disregard his instructions, when we rebel and place our own wants and desires ahead of those of the Almighty, well, that's when we run into serious trouble. God has delivered to his people a comprehensive compilation of his will for us. It is here in a collection of 66 books that he inspired prophets to speak and scribes to record over thousands of years. Some have called it our instruction manual for life. I'm not so sure, though, if it teaches us what to do as much as it teaches us how to live. And how to live is for God and not for us. The mistake Jesus pointedly rebukes his audience for, was certainly not unique to them. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, they they were by no means the first, nor would they be the last, to elevate their own wants and desires above those of the Lord. But they were the ones who were leading the revolt that rejected God's Son. And so Jesus' message was no different from that of his heavenly father, but it was of a magnitude more intimate as it was embodied in the flesh, flesh that is just the same as the flesh that was listening to the parable he's teaching. He's delivering it out of compassionate tenderness. And perhaps that's why the rejection of who he was and why he had come uh, from those in the flesh was particularly grievous. This parable is then not just a condemnation of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, but it is as well a cautionary tale for all of us. And that's where tomorrow morning comes in. When you begin the next work week, Do whatever your circumstances require and do so honoring the Lord. You may be employed by another person or an institution or if you're retired, even by yourself. But regardless, it will be helpful for you to recall that you work for the Lord, regardless of who your employer is. The IRS says that a minister, a clergyman, is self-employed. And I think that is the greatest irony there is in our tax code. But I, I do not work for myself. 
regardless of what it says on the 1040. Our Lord is the one to whom we are all ultimately responsible. It is He alone who is worthy of our honor. And it is He alone whom we are to place above all else. But as we were reminded again this morning in our Sunday school class, watching another episode of The Chosen as the disciples are gathered together by Jesus, giving them a pep talk to prepare them to go out and do ministry on his behalf, spreading his word among the people two by two. Such a life, while more rewarding than any other, is not one that is without inherent difficulties. Uh, loyal, loyalties are often jealously guarded. Jesus was ultimately killed by Rome for being a treasonous threat, for usurping power that was reserved only for the prince of this world, Caesar. In the aftermath of his death, the followers of Jesus were persecuted by the same authorities on grounds that their allegiance was not to the God who ruled from Rome, but to another even greater God who reigned from beyond. If you are working in obedience to this one, then you may find yourself at odds with your employer, your boss, your co-workers, your family, at times even yourself. It comes with the territory. But the alternative is even more uncomfortable. For you are kicking against the goads when you live in a manner contrary to that for which you were made. Perhaps that's part of the reason there is such an alarming mental health crisis in our nation. Because people are seeking to please themselves or someone else rather than living into the purpose for which they were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, as it says at the very outset of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Save yourself that trouble then, and focus on God, and not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well, doing that which you know from His Word honors Him. You might ask yourself, how will this assignment, this project, this meeting, this conversation, this time, honor God? How can I, as an employee or as an employer, as a spouse, as a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent, as a child, how can I honor God through my obedience to Him in this relationship? These are just the sorts of things I think God wants from His servants, those whom He has appointed to tend His vineyards and offer back to Him the fruits of the world, His world. We are, after all, not the landlord, but rather the tenants. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.